Welcome to episode 116 of Ready Press Play, recorded on March 30th, 2022. We're your weekly source for everything that's new and exciting in the world of video games. Today, we'll be talking about PlayStation Plus updates, Breath of the Wild 2 delayed, and more. Stay tuned. What's up, players? This is your host, Luis Menchaca, and I'm joined today, as always, by my co-host, Mr. Daniel Lima. Luis, you killed it in that intro today. <laughs> you know, I uh, I gotta give credit when credit is due. I called you out last time that you uh, that you recorded an episode where you did that part, uh, and you did it you did it really well today. I don't know if you've been practicing. If you're doing one of those like actor exercises where they go like. You know, you, you see it on uh, on TV shows and stuff. They'll make fun of it where they're going or whatever, you know. I'm no, not on record doing was? that. <laughs> I internalized like that criticism last time where I was like, oh, I feel that hurts. It cuts deep. So I was like, I can't do it again. I had to like, really try hard. <laughs> Plus, not to mention, you know, I, uh, I did a, a VO session between last time and this time so i still got my vo session chops down from per- perfect segue yeah. for you right there <laughs> yes uh so yeah this is i guess our first time we were the uh, we are we're sitting down and recording together where we are you know in a post ghost world ghost wire tokyo review embargo lifted game is out um i gave it a nine out of ten and i was genuinely surprised how mixed the, the 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 reception was for the game where like when i when i woke up in the morning and i saw that ign gave it a seven out of ten and i'm like ooh, i feel like i missed the mark you know yeah that's uh that's stupid <laughs> honestly <laughs> like i mean who wants to be like the messes like you you don't want to be like the sheep as they say it uh People are gonna think I'm a Republican or something for saying well, that. Which I mean, like, I definitely when I about, not. <laughs> when I think about like when I with with Deathloop, I gave it a nine, and IGN I think gave it a ten. So I feel like that was in line. I think with uh, when Baron uh, reviewed uh, Dying Light two, he also was in line with with like the masses uh, review and stuff like that, like the scores. So I feel oh. like I feel like an outlier, and I didn't. I don't know. Like I've just. Well, I don't know. I feel like I want to not be an outlier. You know. Here's the interesting thing with this game. Well, you only have to be like honest to your opinion right like if everybody like it could be worse like maybe everybody hated a game that you loved and that's totally cool and your re- review should reflect you loving the game because if you love the game there's other people like you that would love it too right right so like it, even if there's a hundred reviews of the game that all gave it a zero and you gave it a 10 that's still just as valid a review as any other because if you liked it and enjoyed it and gave it a 10 that means there must be someone out there like you that would have liked it as well right so the interesting thing with ghostwire tokyo though is that despite the fact that the metacritic is sitting in the 70s right now it's at a 75 for ps5 and a 79 for pc i believe um it's not like most people are giving it sevens it's more like there's a lot of people that are giving this game hundreds and nineties. And then there's some people that are giving it like sixties and fifties and anywhere in between. Uh, so you have a situation where a game is uh, like averaging out. Yeah. Yeah. Basically averaging out in like the 75, but it's really because there's a big deviation there of all like different, you know, different people's reviews in the game. You know, what's uh, kind of so, funny is, like, I saw YouTubers, they're scathing. They have a, they gave a really bad, like, scathing review of the game. And I was like, 
And it's so mm-hmm. interesting because I actually wanted to make it like a little bit of a mini topic of discussion because he was criticizing the game for what it's not. And I was my my review was reviewing the game of what it is. And mm-hmm. it's really interesting because like I actually thought his points were kind of valid because I never thought about it during my review, during my critique. Like I never thought about what if they did this instead. And he was bringing that to the table and making marking the game down because they didn't, you know, do do something that and I, I, it's like this, I don't give, I can't give him like a specific example, but he's basically giving like some pretty fair things. Like, okay, so the, the combat system. He said like there's a fire, uh, there's a water and wind. I said that in my review. There's a fire, water, wind elements, and he would have liked to see a system where they, they elements combine with like you know like wind uh, fanning the flames of your fire, like that kind of stuff, or. You know that, that that kind of situation where like they they play with each other. They're, yeah. And I didn't even think about that, but mm. that's also a fair critique as well because you could have gone the extra mile. That's fair. Well, what I have to say about that is that generally, I think it's it's hard to find that balance of evaluating something for what it is versus what he wanted it to be. A lot of times, uh, people will, there's like criticism, and then there's the criticism of the criticism, right? So like people will go and <laughs> criticize something. And then other people that perhaps are a fan, they'll say, well, you know, you're being critical because you had different expectations, but you should just appreciate it for what it is. But ultimately, any kind of criticism that exists, you know, be positive or negative comes from comparison. Like you're either you're comparing it to other things that you've liked in the past or you're comparing it to things that you didn't like in the past. And you're kind of gathering like like all of that experience that you have within you to come away with a conclusion of whether this thing was, you know, good or bad or in between or whatever. Um, So it's like, it's hard to criticize criticism because at the end of the day, it's always based on subjective values, right? If you had like, like if a, a purely objective review of a game would be a checklist where it says like, hey, does the game have this? Yes or no, right? Like just objective factors. And then you just mark it. And then the amount of points that you get at the end represents the score of the game. Uh, (laughs) But that would be a shitty way to review games, right? Because you could have a situation where a game with less things is better than a game with more things. You know what I mean? Like you can have a very simplistic game uh, like Celeste that does not have multiplayer and does not have 3D graphics and does not have ray tracing and all these things. (laughs) Yeah, online or anything else. Uh, and, uh, and maybe that would rank below, uh, something like, I don't know, like, um, what was that? Uh, like, uh, Paragon or yeah, like (laughs) Battleborn or one of those like games that maybe just has more features to it, but did not necessarily hit. So it's all subjective. You know, there's no point in like attempting to like compare yourself to others. You just gotta be true to yourself. Like, how do you feel about the game? Was it good? Was it great? Was it amazing? And all these things, that's what these grades ultimately mean. Um, and if you thought it was, uh, I think, I don't know what nine stands for in the level one gaming scale. Um, I but just you, use the IGN scale. That's what I, yeah. do. I just put amazing in my, I even put amazing yeah. in my written and video review. If you played um, the game and you thought it was amazing, then that's it. That's all yeah. you need. Yeah. yeah, I did. And uh, I, I kind of feel like I did a good job with my, my voiceover, by the way, like and conveying. Oh, yeah conveying that feeling of why I liked the game. Like I really yeah. I really did put my heart and soul into like explaining, you know, what the like how it made, the game made me feel. I like kind of sort of give you like a little sampling when I like pause for a musical break and stuff in the video review. 
Yeah, yeah. And uh, there were some good shout outs in your review as well. You did a lot of comparisons to other games that people can find, uh, like as a common ground, right, to like describe what you were talking about. Um, so yeah, really, really solid review. I thought your VO was great. It was the best VO you've had so far in your reviews. I thought your editing was pretty solid too. Um, some of the best you had so far as well. I wish I had notes because right now I did watch it like, I don't know, like a few days or a week ago or something. And when I did watch it, there was a lot of like thoughts that came to mind. Uh, and now I forgot. So like, <laughs> oh, I should probably, write, I hate yeah. you. Yeah. I hate you. You could have, you could, well, you don't, you did. The first thing you did was to text me and say, that was your best video review hands down to date or something like that. Was, yes. Yes. And I'm yes, like, yes. okay, cool. You know? Oh, you know what? <laughs> I remember one thing and uh, it's actually a, a critical thing. Oh <laughs> so, God. <laughs> So, of course, uh, you always remember the bad. I know. For I don't know why. I thought there were so many good things with it. And overall, you know what the good things are. You know, you explained your thoughts well. You know, you was you were very descriptive comparisons. I, I've said it. Uh, but the one thing I didn't like about your review is that I feel like you might have given a little too much away. And really? I don't. That might be a perspective from somebody that did not play the game. So I don't really know how much, like how early on in the game. Uh, these things happen that you're giving away, but I felt like it came across like you gave away a lot of the story. Oh, like, especially, no. yeah. Actually, you know what? I, when I, uh, everything that I gave away as far as story stuff was all chapter one. Okay. Like, Fair I enough. showed no boss fights. I, I intentionally showed no boss fights because most of the boss fights happen in later chapters, not even in the early chapters. So I couldn't show it. I just described it. Yeah. Um, because so, without having played the game, yeah. just listening to you talk about the story, I felt like you gave me like a TLDR summary of the entire story of the game. That's what it felt like. No. So I gave the okay. setup and then I gave commentary of how it made me feel about like it doesn't focus on melancholy. You know, it's bittersweet. Like I gave mm -hmm. you like the, the themes and the feel, but not the actual plot beats. I but see. Okay. I, I intentionally enough. stopped like at only chapter one. Okay. Perfect. Yeah. Good to know. So good to know that I did not get as much spoiled as I thought I might and have. And also, there was a shit ton of side missions, and I gave away, like, five of them. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so, like, it, I might have given away a lot of, like, the sauce, especially some of the better side missions, but, like, overall, I, I held back. Especially okay. with the game that, you know, took me uh, 24 hours to beat. So, yeah. All right. Sounds good. Um, but yeah, with that being said, though, um, we have one other quick update to talk about here. Uh, speaking of Ghostwire Tokyo, uh, there was a creative director that left uh, that left uh, Tango Gameworks, and she went on to create her own studio, and she just un recently unveiled it. It's called Unseen, and uh, yeah, she's basically trying to do a breakout and do her own thing. Uh, there was a um, quote that she's saying that she's trying to make a studio to to make games that will break, uh, quote, break brown break boundaries um apparently it's a situation where they got like developers from all over the world coming in to work for this studio so that seems pretty cool yeah i remember yeah i remember that um it was it was an interesting story the development of this game and one that we haven't really seen the, the have the full grasp on but uh when the game was originally announced they prominently featured this creative director uh ikumi nakamura they kind of introduced her to the world in an e3 stage and shinji mikami who's the like kind of the creative head behind the studio was like hey like this is my this is my pupil and my successor and stuff and and uh she's directing this game and that's that's when we saw ghostwire tokyo for the first time uh she seemed to be very much associated with it and then shortly after, like literally like a few months after, and I'm pretty sure we covered that in this podcast, 
she just left randomly. Uh, I followed her on Twitter, and then she proceeded to, like, go on, like, some kind of worldwide, like, studio tour or whatever. Like, kind of similar to how Kojima did after he left Konami, where, like, she was going around and posting photos of, like, all sorts of different game studios around the world. Um, uh, at some point, I think she announced that she was pregnant and having a baby, and then now we know what she's going to be up to next. Uh, so I'm sure there's some interesting story here behind the scenes, and I would love to you know, learn about at some point, have somebody kind of like dig some more into it and make a, you know, a short YouTube documentary or something, or, you know, maybe, you know, I know it's also just personal stuff that we're not necessarily, um, we don't necessarily need to know about, but it's just one of those things that I just find curious. All right. And also just a couple of more updates here. Uh, my quick thing, I'm going to give a TLDR about Fortnite. Fortnite has uh, interesting uh, mechanics that were embedded into the game that basically compensates for the no building mode. So you're mm -hmm. automatically given 50 shield. So now your total health rises from 200 to 250 to increase the time to kill. So that's kind of interesting because, you know, obviously there's no defensive wall making and stuff like that. Um, and they also increase the game speed. Now you have a sprint button and you can like... Nice. You can like run like you're in... What's that EA game? Uh... Not Titanfall, but the other, uh, damn it. Not, it it's in the Titanfall, Univer Titanfall universe. Oh, Apex Legends. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It feels like you're running, like you're sprinting as if you're in Apex Legends. And there's also like a, when you jump, if you hold the X button, if you're near like a, like a wall, you can climb the wall now. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So those are like interesting tweaks to like compensate and it's like keeping it competitive and, you know, yeah. So it just seems like the game matches may run a little faster because now people can die faster. So... Um, I like it. It's it's uh it's jarring at first because I'm so used to it, but how it mm -hmm. feels and now that they changed like the 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 weight of the characters and they have like interesting uh, shifting body weights going on when they're animations. So yeah, cool. I give it a thumbs up. Got a thumbs up from Lewis. I was curious what you would have to say about that because I wasn't sure if you were gonna be into it or not into it. I have not played it yet, but I will share oh, thoughts when I eventually play you it. You definitely need to feel like the new mechanics, like the new gravity. Mm -hmm. Like it's just definitely interesting. So Apex Legends is definitely a good comparison. Um, and finally, an update to last week's story: Gran Turismo Seven players awarded one million uh, credits. I'm assuming free credits after backlash over downtime and the grind. Um, yeah. So I can add on to this real quick. So there's been this controversy with GT7. We covered it last week. Um, me and Leo on that episode talked a little bit about it and read an article about it. Uh, but basically, there's just microtransactions galore in that game. You pay $70 for the game. And then, you know, if you want any of the cool cars, you're either grinding for 20 hours per car or you're putting more money in. Uh, players got really upset about it. Uh, like, they rated the game super low on user scores all over. And, uh, you know, Sony apparently is doing something about it. They had even, by the way, I saw this other story about players that figured out a way to like there was a, like they figure out a hack. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. like to a way to script it so that they would uh, get the get the rewards without having to actually play the game. But it seems wow. like Sony is trying to address it now or Polyphony specifically. They're trying to address it and giving players free credits, rebalancing stuff. Um, you know, so. it's kind of interesting how, like, we haven't had this controversy in a long time where mm -hmm. there was this recent, I don't know if it was, like, Star Wars Battlefront or if it was a different game, but there was, like, a situation where, like, reviewers can only review the game that they're given when it's the review period. You know, they don't read, it's very rare for, like, outlets to rescore a game, you know. It's like, um, so what happens is if you have the game pretty well balanced for, like, you know, no, not a not a hard-ass grind, 
then the reviewers will give it a score based off of what they reviewed. But then after the game launches, you patch it and make it grimy. And then there you go. You get the best of both worlds. You get the praise and then you get the, the suckers to buy in. Yeah, I don't know. Uh, I don't remember the exact story with Star Wars Battlefront, and I would also personally refrain from commenting on that because yada yada yada, disclaimer, I'm an EA employee, I've done that before, yada yada yada. Uh, however, one case that I do remember uh, that I could talk about is uh, Crash, I think it was Crash Team Racing, the remaster, oh, yeah. where they had it reviewed and then they patched in microtransactions after the review, even though yeah. they had specifically said they were not going to do it, <laughs> like the developers <laughs> had specifically said they were not going to do it. Um, so yeah, there's some shitty things like that that happen in the industry and you're right. Like this feels like the kind of story that you read. A, there were like a lot of those a few yes. years ago, yes. but it's been a bit now where companies have kind of figured it out and I'm surprised that Sony and Polyphony fucked this up this bad <laughs> that they didn't anticipate the backlash because they should have seen this coming from a mile away, you know? Yep. All right. So with all of that out of the way, we're like 17, 15, 17 minutes into this show here. We're finally getting into the actual meat and potatoes of the show. So remember, guys, <laughs> we are a video game podcast. We meet every Friday to discuss the top news of the week, notable releases on our platform, what we're playing, big topics of the industry and the games we love. Now let's get started with the topics of discussion. Hey, listen. Louis, I do want to interrupt you here for a second just to remind you. Um... Do you realize that typically we would be having Temple of Time this week because this podcast will post <laughs> on the on April 1st, April Fool's Holy Day. Holy shit, I forgot. Which, I completely fucking forgot. Which, no, to be honest, I did remember it, but I didn't say anything because I knew I was not going to have time <laughs> to do it. And I knew that you probably were not going to have time to do it too because for those of you who don't, don't know, Louis was on Double XP Podcast at the at Level 1 Gaming today right before we jumped on recording this. Uh, so I just wanted to address it and say it for the audience. We'll be doing that next week. Uh, so we'll make sure to include it in that episode. Fair enough. All yeah. right. Anyways, with that said, uh, there's the biggest the biggest uh, news story of the week. And speaking of Double XP podcast, the entire hour of the Double XP <laughs> podcast, we were talking about this one topic, the all new PlayStation Plus tier list uh, or tiers for pricing. It's... Um, you know, like rumored to be like the Game Pass killer, you know, all that kind of stuff. It was never really publicly acknowledged by Sony. So they've never once said it's not a Game Pass killer. Like this is this uh, announcement is basically the messaging that we've got the first messaging officially. And uh, I don't necessarily want to give like the uh, like say read this article here, this PlayStation blog. We've got the link in the show notes as well. But basically it's just but it boils down to like three tiers and it's called PlayStation Plus Essential, which is. PS Plus, as we know it right now, you get two monthly downloadable games, uh, discounts uh, you know, given to the PlayStation Plus, yeah. uh, cloud storage, and online access. Um, At the same price as well. Yes. $10 a month. This is the same as before. And then $60 a year. Then we got PlayStation Plus Extra. So you get everything from, from uh, Essential. And then you're going to get a catalog of up to 400 games of most, uh, of most enjoyable PS4 and PS5 games. Uh, so that's cool. The pricing is going to be $15 a month or a hundred dollars a year. And then finally the bougie PlayStation plus premium. So you get all the benefits benefits from the previous two tiers, plus an additional, uh, up to 340 games. Uh, that includes PS3 games, PS2, PSP and PlayStation one games, no Vita and, uh, no PS, PS VR from the looks of it. So that's no bueno. 
but the pricing structure here is $18 a month or $120 a year. Dan, thoughts? Okay, so I've listened to some of the coverage uh, on this stuff recently. I, in fact, listened to the entire of the in the entire Double XP podcast this week. Um, <laughs> oh my god! So you saw yeah. me make an ass of myself. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. <laughs> I, I saw you be a cocky. <laughs> you know, the, the, the cocky fucker you can be sometimes, but that's fine. I actually, I wish we got to hear more from you on that podcast because I feel like you only had like. 10 minutes of uh, screen time, um, but I understand. <laughs> well, had like what one minute of screen time. Yeah. It just felt bad for her. Um, yeah. I, uh, I understand because, you know, there's a lot of people in that podcast and they had like special guests today and stuff. So uh, they wanted to highlight the the special guests and I, and I totally understand that. Um, but generally I feel like there's a few things that people are missing in this conversation. So uh, my TLDR thoughts are that I think the service it's probably good, but we don't have enough information to know for sure yet. So any like any big judgment of this being either amazing or terrible is too soon. Like we don't know what those four hundred games are. You know what I mean? Like well, I, I'm I'm just you know imagining here. Like we can speculate like that they're gonna be great, excellent. You know, first, second party PlayStation games and great third party games and etc. But then it could also just be a bunch of duds, right? Or like just a <laughs> bunch of shovelware. Like we theoretically don't know. Now, um, there's a few things I want to say here. Um, pricing. Xbox Game Pass right now, the ultimate you know premium Xbox Game Pass is fifteen dollars a month. So that matches the price of the mid tier here. Um, however, you do get discounts when buying quarterly or yearly, uh, in this plan, which you do not get with game pass, right? Right. So, so in game pass, if you have game pass ultimate and you're spending $15 a month, you do 15 times 12, you're going to be spending 180, 180, yeah, $180 a year. So the interesting thing is that while this is basically more expensive for what you're getting in the month to month, uh, it is actually cheaper on the year. So if you want to go and buy premium for a year, that is actually about 30% cheaper than getting Game Pass Ultimate for a year. Um, yep. So that's a little interesting there, right? So there's a there's a benefit here to buying bulk, right? Like to kind of yeah. um, subscribing like in bulk. The what is it called? Like the warehouse store model, like the Sam's Club, Costco model. <laughs> yes, yes, yeah. yes, exactly. So I think that's an interesting approach here, right? Where you know people may look at the monthly price and they may come across as more expensive than Game Pass with not as as many goods. Uh, but then on the other end, they are also cheaper if you go and you buy it quarterly, you buy it yearly, which is already the way that people did. Uh, PlayStation Plus before. Usually you get those $60 PS Plus cards or whatever, right? You can get them in a discount every once in a while and just you just stack them. We've talked about that many times in the podcast before. Yes. Um, so I think the price is comparable. Uh, now, when it comes to the content, like this is not going to be as good as Game Pass as far as getting day one first party content. However, here's where I think that these things could be more comparable than they're getting credit for. Um... Year two, PlayStation Studios content may be comparable to day one Xbox Studios content. Do you see what I'm saying here? <laughs> That's what I was trying to tell them, but they weren't getting it. <laughs> like, uh, 
Yeah. Don't get me wrong, I have slowly become an Xbox fanboy over the last few years, uh, you know, that I'm kind of like, I've been, that side of the force has kind of conquered me and gained me more recently, but at the same time, I also understand that PlayStation Studios puts out phenomenal titles, many in certain genres off a of caliber that Xbox has not been able to deliver quite yet, may deliver in the future, but has not been able to deliver quite yet. So if you're somebody that loves third-person action-adventure, story-driven narrative games, which is Sony's bread and butter, right? Like if that's what you're into and you have not played the majority of those games and you're not necessarily a day one enthusiast, then this might be the right perfect subscription for you. Um, depending on what the content is, which once again, I'm hitting at, we don't know what the content is yet. So my point is like, I don't feel extreme one way or another with this. I think it's a good subscription. I think that, or it has the potential to be a good subscription. Once we see what the games actually are, um, I think this might be more comparable to Game Pass than people are giving credit for. So are we like losing a free game a month, by the way? Because it says two monthly downloadable games. Does that mean that, you know, oh. we're getting one PS5 and two PS4 games? That's an interesting that's an interesting question. Uh, and you guys did talk about that on the double XP as well. I don't know. Because, um, yeah, so far we've been getting... It's kind of inconsistent, right? Like, like we usually sometimes get three games, four. but sometimes they throw in an extra one. Back in the day, it used to be six. I don't know if you remember that. It was Oh, like, yeah, I remember that. Yeah, that, those were the good days. <laughs> <laughs> those were the good days of PS Plus when we got not only six games, but they were usually, like, good games, too. Like, you had multiple good games. Um versus now it's like you got three games there's usually one like one sort of stand out one yeah. yeah um yeah i think we might be losing one of the games um those bastards we could be uh yeah we, we could start getting just ps5 games actually i wonder um moving mm. forward but or one of each like you yeah said. one of each oh. yeah like it would be interesting well i mean like obviously they got the whole catalog right like here's the thing i wanted to say like during double xp is like like i feel like this is going to be like my backlog because I have my backlog, but they're all like boxed up in a drawer. Like, you know, like I'd have to like hook up my PS2 to play like a classic PS2 game that I never played before. Mm -hmm. uh, and I feel like if there's a situation where like, oh, this is a PS2 game, I've always wanted to play it. Now it's convenient. My PS5 mm -hmm. is always hooked up. So, yeah. But also, you know, another reason why people are disappointed with this is because people had the expectation that they were going to get, you know, proper backwards compatibility with you know ps3 games and they're still only available via cloud streaming, streaming yeah which you know we've known for a long time now that there are technical challenges why they cannot do that there's an argument like well you know if you can do it on pc they should have been able to figure it out uh maybe they should have i don't know enough about you know like that the, the tech side of that to understand i think it's a situation where like if they threw enough money at it that problem can be solved but they're just not going to do it yeah um, which, you know, it, that's what, that's what they're doing and, you know, love it or hate it or not care for it. You know, I, I, uh, I feel like there's not that many PS3 games that have not been ported or remastered in some capacity on the PS4. Um, don't get me wrong. There's still some, you know, important ones. Infamous one and two are great examples of, you know, big, P you know, big PlayStation exclusives that you can only play on the PS3. Some of the classic Ratchet and Clank games are in that position as well. Some of the PS3 Ratchet and Clank games. So I definitely think it's something that sh they should address at some point um, one, one way or another. But yeah, I don't I don't know if we're ever really I don't know if we're ever really going to see that. I have a few more thoughts I want to bring in here, Louis. Um, number one, 
this might just be a rebranding of uh, PlayStation Plus and PlayStation Now. Uh, <laughs> and they might not be doing anything different because if you look at how many games are available on PlayStation Now right now, it is pretty close to those numbers that they're sharing. PlayStation Now, as of this moment, you know, if you went and you subscribed to PlayStation Now last week, you would have had access to, you know, 300 something games via cloud streaming, including PS3, PS1, PS2, etc. And you would have gotten access to hundreds of PS4 games that you could have downloaded. Um, that's already been available on PlayStation Now forever. Um, so I wonder if this is basically a situation where on the back end, they're just kind of renaming things. And really what this is, is that PlayStation Plus Essential is the old PlayStation Plus. PlayStation Plus Extra is PlayStation Plus with PlayStation Now, but without the cloud games. And then Premium is just PlayStation Plus with PlayStation Now, you know? Hmm. It almost looks to me like on the back end, that's probably what's happening, which that also answers the question of what games are going to be available. Well, if you want to know, look at what's available right now on PlayStation Now, and that's probably going to be the answer. Hmm. Interesting. I I have nothing to say to that. That just seems very... uh... (laughs) Like, I've always been that conspiracy theory type on the show, more so than you. And this is, like, the one time where you got me. <laughs> I didn't see it coming. But, yes, um, I like it. I don't know whether I'll subscribe to this or not. Uh, I feel like at some point I probably will, but I'm not sold on it yet. I would have to wait. Like, because the thing, too, is I I already, like, as much as I've sang the praises for Xbox Game Pass in the show before... Uh, I'm already not 100% sure if like that is even worth it for me because I am paying it every month and I play the Game Pass games, but I play other games too. And, we're, and when it really comes down to it, I don't know if I'm playing enough games on Game Pass <laughs> to, warrant uh, <laughs> to really warrant it. I would have to do the math. I feel like it's probably a situation where it kind of breaks even for me where like maybe I won't play anything from Game Pass for a month or two, but then I'll go and I'll play like some indie game like Spirit Fair or whatever, which was, you know, like 20 or 30 well, bucks. Get around to playing Tunic. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Now I want to, you know, play Tunic eventually and stuff. So, um, so it kind of like pays for itself. So I'm okay with that. But um, I would need to look at this with a catalog and what it is. Cause like, what if it's a lot of games that I already own anyway? <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> like, um, you know, like I know I own God of War, I own Horizon, I own Ghost of Tsushima, I own The Last of Us Part One and Two. Like, I own Spider Man. Like, I own Detroit. I own all these. PlayStation you know, first of, party games typically, so it's kind of funny because it almost kind of feels like like I I almost kind of sort of felt this way about the PlayStation Plus collection, but it almost mm-hmm. kind of feels like it's just sort of like devaluing my physical games collection. Yeah, yeah, in a way it does, right? It it makes it so that it's uh, it's less important to have yeah. those physical games. Although I'm still a defendant of physical games uh, because you know you never know these things come in and out and eventually you know they're available for a while and then suddenly they're not anymore they're remo- removed from storefronts or whatever. It's hard to believe that would happen with first party PlayStation games, but you never know you know down the road and um, well, apparently according to post up from uh, from Double XP God of War 2018 left uh, PlayStation now. So. Yeah, I saw them saying that, and I almost want to like look it up before we uh, we yeah, confirm let's fact, that. Fact check them, man. Fact check it, <laughs> fact yeah, check because it, yeah. it feels uh, wrong. <laughs> it feels wrong, exactly, right? But uh, I don't know. But speaking of uh, what feels wrong, uh, PlayStation's Jim Ryan, or as Post Up would say, Jim Lion. <laughs> our game, uh, our games could suffer if they went straight to P- into PS Plus. So the platform holder CEO discusses the potential for game subscription services. This is from GamesIndustry.biz. 
and basically Jim Ryan gave a, a, an interview, or I don't know if it was an interview or just a quote, but he says, uh, we feel like we are in a good virtuous cycle with the studios, uh, he explains, where the investment delivers success, which enables yet more investment, which delivers yet more success. We like that cycle, and we think our gamers like that cycle too. He continues, in terms of putting our games into the service and, or any of our games or any of our services upon the release, as you will know, this is not a road that we've uh, gone down in the past, and it's not a road that we're going to go down with this new service. We feel if we, feel if we were to do that uh, with the games that we make at PlayStation Studios, that virtuous cycle will be broken. The level of investment that we need to make in our studios would not be possible, and we think that the, the knock-on effect of the quality of the games that we make would be not something that gamers want. And I was trying to convey that, by the way. I don't know if I was able to truly, like, explain it to them. Like, that, that idea of, like, investing and, like, needing to make their make their, their money back. And then, you know, like, I was trying to sort of liken it to, like, the box office when movies come out in theaters mm -hmm. first. They make their money, then they go to streaming. Um, here, I, I have some things to say here. So this, I, I threw in this link in the doc because I've seen this argument that Jim Ryan used be used before before this was even announced or rumored as an argument against the game pass right against the the xbox game pass model and i disagree with it and my main counter argument with it is the following um most people nowadays right oh actually i probably can't say most people but a lot of people nowadays they no longer buy TV show box sets. They no longer subscribe to cable, maybe, and they watch most of their TV shows on streaming services, correct? Right. So we have all these new TV shows that are being made for streaming services with streaming services in mind. And then I ask you the question, Lewis, have TV shows gotten worse over the last 10 years? Um, they've definitely gotten better, I would say, but it's also yeah. come at a cost because streaming services are actually putting more money into creating the content that they're getting back in revenue. Like there, mm. there's a growth model. A growth model means that you're going to take losses in the, for now for the future for it to pay off. The problem is, is that companies like Netflix have technically been in growth mode and not been into, have not transitioned into like, all right, we're good. Now. Right. That's fair. Cause without looking at it from that perspective, I always looked at it as like, we've been moving everything to streaming services and the content has been getting better. Like, cause to me, like the shows we get on Netflix and on HBO and stuff like that, they're better than any show we used to get before. Or like the right. most of the shows we used to get before. Right. Like, yes. um, like that, you there's were, like, you're, a, you're, like the madman of the world used to be like on like cable TV, but now that's now being like, the problem is, is like the thing is like, there's so much competition. Like, you know, that that's right. the streaming wars. Right. It's like mm -hmm. everyone's trying to be like Amazon Prime Video, Netflix, Disney Plus, you know, HBO Max. Like everyone, like, you know, Amazon wants to make The Handmaid's Tale. They, they, everyone wants to make a show that everyone's talking about. Yeah. The and Handmaid's Tale like, is on Hulu, yeah. by the way, not on Amazon. But Really? Oh, I thought yeah, it was. Yeah, I, I watch it. So <laughs> I, I can tell you that because I, I go on Hulu to watch that. But yeah, yeah I here's the thing it's like it's a great era there's like all these like streaming services and all this competition we sometimes joke about how you gotta like subscribe to them all and stuff but it's a great era to be a fan of tv shows right because like right. you just got you got great excellent shit everywhere like some of the best shows of all time are being made and released like every year on these different streaming services and i feel like if we go on a direction where that's also the case with games where it's like no more physical, it's like 
or, you know, maybe they're still physical, but there's no longer the talk of the town. It's like, you know, Nintendo has a service and PlayStation has a service and Xbox has a service and all these things. I feel like we're going to get the best games ever made. Like, because I think that seems to be the direction that these things go. It breeds quality. And it, I don't think it does the opposite. But that's I've the way I look at I've, it. I've been on the record saying that Xbox Game Pass is games are like lower in quality. There's the outliers like your Halo Infinites, but those are like because they're the crown jewels. So I guess my counter argument to that is the if you look at the best games that have come out on Game Pass over the last year, they've reviewed better than like, the, for instance, like the first party PlayStation games that did not come out on a subscription. Like if you take like Forza Horizon 4, right? And you compare that to Gran Turismo 7 that just came out. Oh, now, I know that's an example of something that went terribly wrong, right? But here's an example of like the one that was made for the subscription service was better. If you look at Halo Infinite, like Halo Infinite destroyed a lot of the other shooters that came out around the same time, you know, and it was made and, you know, over the last few years, at least it was developed with the mindset of releasing day one on a streaming service. So I actually feel like we're already seeing that it's in my opinion, the direction in which we're walking is that the best games will be on Game Pass. Like, Deathloop is not on Game Pass right now, but, but it, it will be. likely be <laughs> in a year, right? Like, Ghostwire Tokyo probably will also be on Game Pass in a year. Like, the best indies are on Game Pass. Like, Spiritfarer was one of the best games of 2020, and it was on Game Pass. Um, Guardians of the Galaxy, which I think is an exceptional game, is now on Game Pass. So I feel like the quality argument against Game Pass, I think that that might have been true like in the past. That might have been true even like a year ago. I don't think it's true right now. Now, I understand that Sony First Party makes some of the top games of the year every year, and those are not on Game Pass. But if you take those out of the equation, you know, a lot of the other shit that's really good is on Game Pass, right? Uh, or, or, or in quotes, like, is going to be eventually, right? <laughs> um, like, if you look at the, you know, the, the best games of last year, like the Game of War nominees and stuff like that, if they were not Sony first party, they, they were, were either on Game Pass or going to be on Game Pass. You know uh, what I mean? Mm. So, yeah. Like, Psychonauts 2, Game Pass. Halo Infinite, Game Pass. Forza Horizon, Game Pass. Deathloop, not on Game Pass, but will be there soon. And we know that, you know? Damn. Well, you shut yeah. me up. <laughs> <laughs> that wasn't the intention, by the way. For the record, I think this is good. Um, I think that uh, basically we're going to have a situation where Xbox and third-party fans are going to have a great service on Game Pass, and Sony fans are going to have a great service on this. Um, and I think that, you know, maybe we're going to see more, like, Square Enix and Capcom and stuff, like, coming out on this as well. Uh, so we'll have to see the list. All right, yeah, it's clear that PlayStation and other companies love subscription services. But you know who else loves subscription services? <laughs> Rockstar Games. Because GTA Plus. Because everything's a plus these days. You know, like freaking <laughs> Apple TV Plus, Disney Plus. Like, yeah, everything. Everything's a plus. Isn't it? Did who is Hulu Plus a thing? I don't even know. But yeah. Might have been. Know. It might have been. But anyways, yeah, GTA Plus is a GTA's online new monthly subscription on PS5, Xbox Series. It's for $6 a month, and you get extra GTA online uh, rewards. Dan, do I even need to read the article, or did that just give away the sauce? No, that we, we got it. Um, 
You know, it's funny. I remember there was a Mario Kart. I think it was the Mario Kart game on mobile that also had like a $5 a month uh, subscription for its content. And I remember thinking that was kind of weird and egregious. And like, why would anybody pay for that just for one game? Uh, and I still kind of feel that way in the sense of like, you know, I uh, I pay $15 to get, you know, hundreds of game access to hundreds of games on Game Pass and stuff. Uh, but uh, it would feel weird to pay a third of that uh, or more than a third of that for content in just this one online game. However, uh, this stuff is not for me, right? Like this stuff is for the gamer out there where GTA Online is their life. game, you know, their life, just like Fortnite is your life, right? Like where yeah. it's like this is this is the game that they want to play every every month, right? Um, there's been some stuff that I've heard uh about recently in in like some it, it was either like some talk or, or something that i watched where uh the direction we're going is that the question people ask is no longer you know what game did you play or like oh what what game have you played or what game are you playing but it's more what game do you play like it's in the present right like what game is your thing uh and we're getting to a situation where it's like either like your fortnite guy or your apex guy your PUBG smash. guy <laughs> smash or smash yeah. right like or you're a gta online guy and i feel like sometimes people overestimate like how new that is i feel like we've always had that but it's becoming more and more common and bigger and bigger uh and so this is there for the gta guys and girls um just like fortnite has its subscription as well and i feel like we might start seeing a lot more of stories like this for all of those big games out there, you know, PUBG, Destiny, etc. Those bastards. <laughs> <laughs> and this is how, uh, this is how, I don't know, what's the word? I don't even know, but this is how blank, insert blank, whatever ends in roaring applause, you know, I don't know. Yeah. But I wonder no. what's going to be the ultimate evolution of all this stuff, by the way, like, you know, like, are we going to eventually get to a situation, you know how you get your paycheck and then you get your taxes like deducted or whatever. It's mm -hmm. like, uh, maybe in the future you get, your, there's like your paycheck, right? And it's <laughs> like 25% goes to taxes or whatever. And then 25% goes straight to like the capitalists, you know what I mean? Like, <laughs> like just the, get it, like get it deducted straight from your paycheck to like to Microsoft to and Facebook and all and, <laughs> and Disney Amazon, and, all, yeah. and all these folks. And then you just get to get all your shit that you want, you know, wow. all your entertainment. <laughs> Who knows? <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, like I, my nephew, he, I don't know if he still does, but he definitely used to play GTA online like daily. And uh, he tried to wrap me into it, and I did missions with him. I thought it was I can see I can see the appeal, but it wasn't for me. And mm -hmm. so I can see how that can just rope people in, and they just make as if Rockstar didn't already make like a, a buku amount of money already from that game. Like I'm sure that game has turned a profit like ten times over right now. As yeah, if that's not sure. enough, they yeah. have to go and do this. Yeah, and uh, <coughs> sorry. I think there's also been some speculation uh, and some rumors about what, what's going on with GTA 6, by the way, which is kind of interesting. We never talked about it in the podcast, but uh, people are theorizing that you're going to have, like, multi it's, it's no longer going to be just, like, one city. That you're going to have, like, multiple cities, like, that are each their own sandbox and that you can join. And there's, like, you know, GTA Online. It will be, it will be an evolution of GTA Online and all these things. Um, so... Yeah, very curious about how that's going to turn out as well. Okay, and on to some bad news here. Uh, this is usually something that we put in the roundup, but it warrants its own story. Uh, Nintendo has delayed Le The Legend of Zelda Breath of the Wild 2 to spring 2023. Now, here's the thing. 
I am both surprised and not surprised at the same time. Like, I feel like I had a, uh, I feel like I should have made a prediction in our prediction special where it's like Breath of the Wild 2 delayed to next year. Mm -hmm. Like, that should have been an easy layup. Uh, but a part of me was hopeful. Like, that's why I'm a little surprised because, like, I genuinely believed that that was, it was gonna, they were going to make it. However, Zelda games and delays are, like, basically one and the same. Uh, every 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 3D Zelda game um, has even going back to Ocarina of Time has, has suffered from delays. Uh, so when I saw that video pop up on my timeline, the actual uh, minute and a half video with Eiji Anuma on the screen, it reminded me of the Metroid Prime development update. By the way, it's like I was getting those vibes right from the beginning, and I was like, oh no, no, please no! Like I was I was hoping that they were just gonna announce, and it's coming this November, you know, like that kind of stuff. Um, but yeah, like that was just me. And also, by the way, nice haircut to Aonuma. So yeah, that's that. <laughs> we also got like two seconds of footage, new footage for the game. Uh, and people were already speculating on what that means. And uh, so, yeah. Do you have anything to, to add to that, Dan? I mean, it's it's interesting, right? We uh, we This game got announced, a, I feel like, a long time ago. And we've expected, we theorized around the time that it got announced that... It's going to uh, come soon. Yeah, that it was going to be a quick turnaround, right? And ultimately, it's going to end up coming out like three or four years after the, the original announcement. Five. Well, not three, but like if you think about it like this, like Breath of the Wild started development in some form in 2012 and then it released in 2017. So that was about right. four and a half years, I would say. And No, but I, I'm thinking of the announcement because we saw this. I was just uh, reading here in the article. We saw this in 2019, right? Yeah. So if it comes out in 2023, that's four years after um, when we first saw it, saw it. And it probably was already in development for a few years then. No, right? I was so. I was talking about it from a development standpoint. So like, okay. I was saying that Breath of the Wild was in development for about approximately four and a half years. Mm -hmm. And we know or we can speculate reasonably that... Breath of the Wild 2 got started development immediately after the, the season pass ended in that in December 2017. Mm -hmm. So if we're talking from December 2017 to you know spring 2023, let's see that. Is that 18, 19? That's five and a half, five and a quarter. So right. it would be in development longer than its predecessor. Yeah. By just Very a little bit. interesting. Very interesting. And and what's what's weird about it is I, a lot of people were expecting a, a Majora's Mask situation where with Majora's yeah. Mask, they were able to develop it in a year because they reused assets. They re, they basically reused the engine, uh, textures and models and character models, everything, and just basically made a ROM hack of, of Ocarina of Time, essentially. Yeah. Um, and I, I, think... was, I was thinking that Breath of the Wild 2 would just be, you know, same engine and same textures and go mm -hmm. at it. You know? Yeah, I, I, I have some theories right now. I, I think it's... I'm pretty confident this game will not be called Breath of the Wild 2 or anything no, similar to that. No. Uh, this will have its own unique uh, yes. name. This will not be like a like a reskin with uh, some extra stuff on Breath of the Wild. This will be a full new game. I think that um, it's not going to be, you know, like the Majora's Mask of the Ocarina of Time, like originally anticipated. I think this is going to be more of a... Skyward Sword to Twilight Princess kind of comparison where it's like a completely new game, but it happens to, you know, use some of the systems and, um, and like, you know, it's, it's still a sequel to it. Right. But, uh, but it's its own, you know, new, unique, it's, it's going to be a sequel in the story, but it's going to be its own unique game, uh, unique new Zelda game with how long it's been in development. It must be right. Like that, that needs to be the case. And yeah. I also wonder, Lewis, uh, We've had kind of almost like a tradition recently um, 
with these this dual platform release, right? Like with uh with Breath Twilight of the Wild Princess. and with Twilight Princess, two of the last three mainline Zelda games have come out in this format. I wonder if this game could also be in that situation um, and kind of dual release on the Switch and perhaps like a Switch 2 or a Switch Pro of some sort uh, in spring of 2023, which will be exactly the sixth year, you know, in the sixth year anniversary of the of the Switch. I predicted a Switch Pro like dual release at some point. I don't know if it was like in twenty in the twenty twenty predictions. I was like, oh, in twenty twenty one, we're gonna get a Switch Pro at the Breath of the Wild two, or something mm-hmm. like that. I, was like, I think yeah, yeah, we did talk about Breath of the Wild two or or sequel. It's, oh yeah, yeah we've been since, we've been expecting this game to be out since, since the inception of the yeah. show. Yeah, damn. Yeah, literally. Holy yeah. shit! God damn. Okay, <laughs> but yeah, like I like uh, like I said, I was definitely not expecting it. I I think. I don't know if how much COVID and working from home caused like delayed the development of the game, mm-hmm. but I would imagine that if you're putting five years of time and energy into making the sequel, it's you're talking about adding so much more mechanics and systems and stuff like that than we weren't even expecting. Is how yeah. I'm sort of envisioning this. So now, if anything, my expectations have only gone up because of this. Yeah. So, yeah. True. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, that's uh, that's about that. We'll go ahead and keep it moving. We got a we got a lot of show to, to talk about here, so let's talk about some Ghostbusters game that was uh, announced. So it's called Ghost Ghostbusters Spirits Unleashed, Unleashed. Um, it's going to be a co-op uh, game uh, from Friday the Thirteenth and Predator Game developers. Interesting. Uh, so it's a four v one. It's a first person four v one battle against the spooky specters and ghosts. We got a trailer in this uh, in this video from Polygon. I watched the trailer. It kind of reminds me of. Uh, it kind of reminds me of uh, um, Left 4 Dead in that four that four player co op kind of situation. But I can see why you know obviously I know about Predator Hunting Grounds. You know I know about I know about the Friday the Thirteenth game. This sort of evolve kind of feels, as well yeah. from the same developers of Left 4 Dead as well. Oh nice nice. Yeah. So yeah, like this looks kind of fun. Like I, I yeah. kind of it, it's basically like uh, Luigi's Mansion in the first person, but just kind of sort of like you know cranked up a little. Yeah. Well, here's the thing. I, I watched this trailer uh, right before we went live, and I, I, I think this trailer looks dope. Uh, I, I like the art style. It looks like goofy. It looks fun. Uh, it looks exactly what a Ghostbusters game should be. And I, I like the idea of these like asymmetrical games where, you know, somebody can play as the villain, basically, and everybody else gets together to catch them. It's, you know, the, the game format that was super popular on the Wii U with um nintendo land and stuff and then there's been some experiments with it as well on other platforms but i feel like you know with this studio in particular that's what they do right they did it that's how friday the 13th worked that's how predator hunting grounds worked and that's now how this game works that seems they almost have found like a niche right that they're uh they're going to be exploring you know maybe like two years from now it's going to be like a different version of the same kind of idea but with a different franchise associated with it now um the only reason why I'm just slightly skeptical is because from an outside perspective as somebody who has not played a lot of these games, it comes across to me like a lot of them aren't really hitting. Like really? the developers yeah, the developers of Left 4 Dead, um, as I mentioned, they made a game Evolve Back for Blood. <laughs> and then Back for Blood, but Evolve before Back for Blood. And Evolve was a game on this format that did not hit. Uh, in fact, I think Back for Blood is doing better, despite the fact that it's also not doing Left 4 Dead numbers than Evolve. 
Um, then with these other two games, I remember we covered on the podcast not too long ago, uh, or no, like last year, as an extra news story that one of these games was getting shut down. It was either Friday the 13th or Predator Hunting Grounds. They were they were shutting down the servers for it. Yeah, I remember that. Uh, and if they're shutting down the servers, that means the game is not really, um, like, you know, they're not getting enough money from the game to keep it going. Um, so I get the experience that a lot of these games seem to struggle. Like, they kind of, like, the novelty factor brings people in the door, but they struggle to kind of maintain a stable player base. And usually it's because... People seem to not enjoy the different roles as much like, you know, like they don't really like playing as the ghost because they feel like it's uh, the ghost is underpowered or vice versa. Maybe they don't like playing as the, the characters because they're underpowered and it's just kind of been difficult to find the right balance in that uh, like asymmetric uh, gameplay. Um, so I hope this is the game that gets it. I feel like it comes across to me like no game has really gotten it yet. Uh, so I, f- I hope this is the game that gets it uh, because it looks it looks great. I mean, I did play. Uh, I believe it was Dead by Daylight is the one I'm thinking of. Uh, where like mm-hmm. I played that and I feel like that was actually fun. I had fun with playing that on Discord with some of my friends, and I, I think that game hit. I think that game found it found an audience. So if, if yeah. a game like that can be successful, then I'm sure that there's there's always the chance that this can also hit too. Um, I think IP is definitely uh, a benefit. Uh, Dead by mm-hmm. Daylight, ha- Dead by Daylight has so many crossover guest characters that they're always constantly, you know, putting themselves back into the hype cycle where it's like, yeah, the Leprechaun, you know, joins Dead by Daylight. Resident Evil, you know, is coming right. to Dead by Daylight. You know that kind of stuff. So it's, yeah, it's also hard to not want to compare this to Phasmophobia, by the way, which was a huge sensation two years ago. Louis and I, we played it together, right? And uh, Thing, I have a feeling it was like it was like the first year of the pandemic when we yes. did that. Yes. Um, and I wonder if they're going to be learning, you know, taking uh, inspiration from that game and bringing some of the innovations from that game into this as well. Um, and it seems to me like they are um, like this is a more this does come across like a more actiony game than uh, Phasmophobia. But I think I did read somewhere that they're also going to incorporate the whole like you know, people carrying different items and having different roles and using that to kind of locate the ghost and identify the ghost um, before you're actually fighting it. So, okay. Yeah. All right. Moving on. We got some bad news. So, um, Ori and the Blind Forest uh, and Ori and the Will of the Wisps, like the Ori games, uh, there's uh, the developer, his name is Moon Studios. And unfortunately, there has been some, uh, there has been some uh, articles and like these, um, Word got out that basically the, the, the employees, the people that are working for the studio, are accusing the studio of not only a workplace mismanagement, but also that the studio, it's, it's, a, it's like not a good place to work. Yeah, they're, they're like, they got stressed out, they got burnt out. Um, this is a, um, there's a bit of an article here that I got from De- Destructoid, and the Destructoid also cited uh, VentureBeat, and VentureBeat did the original article. I'm actually going to go ahead and just read this paragraph, this quote from one of the developers in the Venture Beat article. It says, quote, we really created something special, and I know the only way I was able to reconcile it was I was able to watch people on Twitch and watch other people get moved by it. And that was actually part of the healing process. Because maybe my suffering was worth it because other people felt something. In the end, I mean, so many of us were burned out. So uh, Moon, uh, Moon developers... Uh, 
uh, Moon developers told GameBeat that they found the studio's culture uh, oppressive. They alleged that the leaders used calls for an open and honest workplace as a pretense for abuse. The founders criticized the work of employees in public chats and were stingy with praise. So far, no one is suing or claiming well, unlawful behavior, but many workers are fed up with what they seem as what they see as inappropriate by the founders. Dan, you're you're a developer. What are your thoughts? Yeah, so um, the Venture Beat article is like super long, and it has a lot of details and reports. And for the record, this is not like one anonymous developer who went out and like you know talk shit about the studio to a journalist or something this is a corroboration of multiple reports of a lot of the people that work there uh and it has come uh, alongside other reports from other indie developers as well um i think there's kind of this uh with with the thing with the things that we've learned about activision blizzard and ubisoft over the last few years there, there's been this narrative of like, you know, like, oh, AAA sucks. Maybe, you know, like the indie side is better. Uh, and I think we're now corroborating some stories. Some journalists are, you know, make, t- taking the lag war to corroborate some stories to say, wait, not, it's not like indie developers are necessarily early better either. There's a lot of shit going on at these indie studios as well. Um, with this particular report uh, with Moon Studios, it's sad to read about that when, you know, these games are so good uh, and we love them so much, right? Uh-huh. That you you want to hope that, you know, people had a good experience while working on them and, and, and reading about how these people are basically traumatized from this experience uh, really sucks. Um, I do want to point out um, that, you know, there's a difference just because I cited that earlier. There's a difference between this and the Activision Blizzard situation. Uh, the Activision Blizzard situation involved like straight up like Hostile illegal work environment. <laughs> behavior and stuff. This is more of like it comes across like these two bosses at the studio, the founders of the studio are just complete assholes and like shit to work with. Um, and that they also had like basically mandated crunch for the team. Uh, and Moon Studios has been a work from home team from the beginning. By the way, they they're not they never yeah. had like a studio. That's right. I, um, I forgot about that. Yeah. So something that's really important uh, with when you're working from home, and something that the studios I worked with while working from home have been great at is like being like, hey, like you're working from home, but you're not you're not supposed to always be working just because you're at home, right? Like you're supposed to still have you know your work hours, do your work, and then go and chill out, be with your family, whatever rest, relax, do your things. Um, and it comes across like, you know, one of the main criticisms of this studio alongside, you know, the shitty behavior of the bosses is that you are expected to be on at all times. It's like, you know, Saturday night, like, hey, we got to fix this. Like, you know, you got to be ready at that moment. They were working long hours. They were working all the time. They could never like turn off from work. Uh, and that has led to a lot of stress to a lot of the developers. So that sucks you know like you don't want to run your studio that way especially when you know you're making games like i feel like we all like to take games really seriously i mean we're making a podcast about it obviously this is a serious story but at the end of the day like you know if a game has to be delayed or whatever like nobody's gonna die you know um but you know somebody could die or just get really depressed and just like have their dreams ruined for working in a toxic, shitty work environment where they're being worked to death, you know? So I, I feel like studios just need to get better. Like, just, like, do better. That's ultimately it. Like, you know. Yeah, I agree. 
I kind of some of that sentiment that you said definitely uh, pl- applies to to me personally. You know, so I uh, I can understand. I can understand when when people are or don't feel appreciated that they will you know feel slighted and sometimes they'll take action. Yeah, and it and it sucks too because like the games are so good and it's like they ultimately did make great games and I've played Ori in the Blind Forest and I haven't played Will of the Wisps yet. I want to play it and I still plan on playing it. Um, but now I almost feel like this will, this will sort of taint my experience a little bit because I'll play it knowing that like, oh, like, you know, this game is, is great and wholesome and stuff, but you know, the people that worked on it hate it, <laughs> you know, or like hate that they had to go through this to make it right. But uh, it's a complicated thing there too, like separating the art from the artist. Uh, there's been a lot of conversation about that um, with some other games that are coming out as well. And I feel like everybody has to do the, you know, take the decision that they want to make with that. I think there's good arguments on both sides. Okay. And Dan, you put an extra little update to the doc. I'll let you handle that one. Oh yeah, for sure. Uh, so I just wanted to point out a few things. Uh, we kind of buried the lead on this in the past, but we covered a story. We quickly covered a story about the initiative, which is the new Xbox studio it has been referred to in the past as like the quadruple A new, no new Xbox studio in Santa Monica, California. Um, and I think we talked about how there were a lot of people leaving the studio. Uh, but, but we didn't talk about the reason because there's also been a lot of reports of that studio having a toxic work environment. Uh, apparently it's just the, the, the people that they have leading the studio who used to work at Crystal Dynamics, uh, have just been the type of boss that just, you know, they just want it to be done this way and they don't want to hear it. Right. Like they, they haven't fostered a work environment where people are able to share their own like creative ideas and stuff. And it's very much just like, Hey, just do what you're told and shut up. (laughs) And because of that, you know, a lot of the creatives that they brought to the studio have just left. And the reason why they started working with crystal dynamics is because they used to work there. And yeah. So basically they're like, Hey, let's get crystal dynamics to help us out because they can work with our management style. So it's it's also like there is a lot to that story, too, and we don't have time to get into it necessarily, but it's been interesting as well. How There is a lot of shit for them to address over there. And then the other indie studios that have recently been receiving these types of allegations have included Fulbright, uh, a studio called Mountains, uh, which is the studio behind the game. Um, fuck, I forget, but it's the little mobile game about being in a relationship that I played uh, about a year ago, it got a bunch of awards, but I'll think about it later. Um, and then Funomena, which is also another like awarded indie studio. Um, so yeah, lots of those things have been coming out recently. Okay. All right. Cool. Well, let's uh, let's move on to something a little bit more happier. Uh, <laughs> we actually did cover it on a previous. I think we covered it on a previous episode of the podcast where like the 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 rumor was is that the Ocarina of Time PC port was like ninety percent complete or something like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, so now we it's complete and it's out right now. And I actually um, I actually do want to uh, give a shout out to like this uh, this release strategy here. First off, let me just say that this article, this v- VGC, they put out an article and somebody took a picture of their monitor and this is atrocious and this is like a what how do I put this <laughs> like a like a a slap in the face. It's like slapping God in the face or something like that. Like it's a uh, what is I can, feel can like you there's describe- a phrase. 
It's, uh, well, you should describe what the photo is, which is like, it's a full widescreen uh, monitor, the kind that's like, curved. like they're, they're curved. And they're also like, the resolution is like, you know, 30 by nine or something crazy. Yeah, like, like the aspect ratio uh, isn't even ultra widescreen. It's ultra, ultra, ultra widescreen. Like, yes, um, this is like a... I feel like it's like a, I don't know, I can't think of the phrase, but there's like a phrase that's like, this is a something, something to humanity, or like, this is a, uh, I don't know. I don't, I don't know. I'm not the best with those kinds of uh, sayings. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But anyways, that being said, this is just like a spit in the face to like just seeing Breath of the Wild, oh, not Breath of the Wild, freaking Ocarina of Time stretched out like this. Now, it's not stretched like, it's not being stretched as in like you're stretching an image, but it feels like it is, but because it's like a PC mod, it's native they're rendering the entire environment in this ultra wide landscape. Like, so they're not like stretch textures or anything like that. It's in interesting to see so much detail and so much environment, but I'm not, I'm not about that life. So, um. <laughs> you know, what's interesting games are designed with the aspect ratio in mind that you're going to be playing it on. So sometimes they might be hiding something on screen. Uh, you know what I mean? Like that if you just stretch and you could see further from it, that it would not necessarily, give you the intended look. So I agree, but I feel like we're getting lost in the weeds here because I think the story is not that, you know, you play Ocarina of Time in ultra, ultra, ultra wide resolution. <laughs> I mean, you can, but most people will not. It's just that you can play this port of Ocarina of Time on PC and it's, uh, you know, all HD and stuff with the, uh, although it has, you know, the original kind of Yeah, you can play the game originally, and... but you can also, it also includes mod support. So you can import like HD textures, um extra um like modding support where you can put 60 frames per second you can do twin stick camera controls uh updated audio more texture packs things like that so there's different things that you can do and the 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 developers release the the download on the, their discord server and what they do is they uh they basically let you download a, a software called ship of harkinian Har harkinian Let's go with Ship of Harkinian. Uh, that is the name of the software. And what happens is you download the software and then you upload your, your you put into the software the actual ROM of, of Ocarina of Time and then it, it runs it. So they're trying to get around the whole Nintendo ban hammer thing because the, mm. the, the software does not contain any code or any assets or anything that's copyright owned by nintendo so interesting yeah i wonder if that's actually gonna work though <laughs> well you know hey this is uh you know you just, sometimes you just gotta like throw a hail mary every so often right but by the way if you uh, the, there's a the pc port gameplay uh, is is literally uh in, embedded in the video so if you go to the video and skip to the 50 second mark you can see that the widescreen support is showing textures that you can't see and that's not supposed to be made visible uh, like yeah. there's like a green, I don't know, maybe like a layer. I'm assuming that's a layer um, that's in the in the background that you can see on the edges, and that's not supposed to be vain, that's not supposed to be visible. So yeah, just throwing that out there. And All right. Lastly, finally, to wrap this segment up here, we like to end things out with some extra news. Uh, and in the extra news here, there are 12 items on the list plus a roundup. So number one. Microsoft says it will not object to Activision Blizzard recognizing internal union, unionization efforts in response to a letter from Activision workers pressing the company to state its, uh, its position. Number two, 
Wii and DSi shop channels have been down for days. Nintendo says they're undergoing maintenance. Those bastards. Number three, Mass Effect former director Casey Hudson is developing all new science fiction universe at his new company, Humanoid Studios. Number four, GSC Game World developer at, of the upcoming Stalker 2 Heart of Chernobyl is reportedly looking to relocate staff to Prague in order to safely finish its, finish its game. We talked about that with the whole you know, Russia-Ukraine situation. Uh, number five, Netflix has announced a new anime series based on the Tekken fighting games, Tekken Bloodline, launching in 2022. You know, Netflix has a great uh, track record when it comes to animated video game series. You know, think of like Castlevania. So, yeah, I'm, I'm all for it. Uh, number six, Ubisoft is reportedly working on an unannounced Prince of Persia game. What? You can't even put out your, your reboot out or your remake out. <laughs> ah. Well, this is uh, the reason why this is buried down here on Extra News is because it's just the, it's like a rumor, like a leak of some kind. I don't know the validity of it, so I didn't want to make a big deal out of it. But Yeah, interesting yeah. how they're trying to work on an on an unannounced Prince of Persia game. If this is true, they're working on the unannounced Prince of Persia game while also working on your the remake or whatever but anyways number seven nintendo has announced its original mobile game dragalia lost will be shut down following the final update in july and number eight nintendo requests takedowns of scans for 1996 super mario 64 strategy guide from internet archive those bastards uh number eight number sorry number nine xbox has un unveiled new publishing division focused on cloud native games don't know how i feel about that number 10 Netflix acquires Boss Fight Entertainment, its third gaming studio acquisition in six months. Number 11, Sonic the Hedgehog 2 is part of a cinematic universe, according to one of the film's producers. Number 12, publisher Bandai Namco is pulling Fast and Furious Crossroads from sale next month, less than two years after the game's poorly received release. Oh my god, that shitty Fast and Furious game that was like uh, introduced by Vin Diesel and, and Michelle Rodriguez yep. at the Game Awards. Man, that game was a dud. Okay. Uh, the finally, the roundup. PlayStation and Epic Store's exclusive Godfall is coming to Steam and Xbox on April 7th. Bandai Namco announced One Piece Odyssey original game to celebrate the series' 25th anniversary coming in 2022. Rocksteady's Suicide Squad Kill the Justice League has officially been delayed to spring 2023. Dan called it. Yep. Dan, what do uh, you want to react to? So the Suicide Squad game being delayed, I think there was a report of it that we already covered before, but I, I think the difference is that it's now like official and it has a window. Uh, so spring 2023 right now, you know, has uh, Zelda Breath of the Wild 2 and uh, Suicide Squad. Uh, looks like we're going to have another busy spring uh, next course. year, like like we did this year. Um, I feel like in the age of, of like big, uh, what do you call it? In the age of big AAA studios that are like struggling to meet their deadline, because it was all about mm -hmm. the the holiday release, right? And now holiday releases, you know, give way to spring releases because they get delayed out of the holiday. I agree. I agree. Um, this Fast and Furious game being delisted, you know, it's it's interesting because I also worked on a racing game that got delisted after not being uh, for sale for a long time. And it's because racing games have to deal with so many licenses with, you know, different uh, companies and et cetera that have to be renewed independently in what's often like a yearly basis or whatever that to the point where it's not worth it 
keeping them for sale if you're not making <laughs> enough money in the game to pay for those license renewals. So that's probably what happened here. You know, like they looked like, oh, the game's not selling enough for us to go and renew all the licenses. So then they just take it out of stores. I wonder if this game was ever available physically. I do like Fast and Furious quite a lot, the, the franchise. So I wonder if I should go and buy this game. <laughs> Before I gets delisted or something, it's like um, a rare, a rare game. <laughs> yeah, it will become a rare game. I, I would love to have a physical version of it. So I, I, I should look to see if that's, uh, if that's available. Um, yeah, that game reviewed very poorly, and I saw that IGN review, and that footage was not very, uh, not say pleasing, but it was not flattering, is what I was gonna say. Yeah, and I will add that with the, you know, if you're gonna clink, if you're gonna go with the, on the show notes and click on any extra news item of this week to go to the actual article that is from, you probably want to do it for the Prince of Persia uh, article that we that we mentioned because what it is is that there's a whole leak of it's almost like a, a Ubisoft press conference got leaked basically, um, and they actually includes details on like all of their different games. From School and Bones to Avatar and Immortals, Phoenix Rising, and all this other stuff. Some new Assassin's Creed. Uh, the reason why the headline is the Prince of Persia, the new Prince of Persia game, is because that's probably the most exciting new announcement that would be included in it. Um, and it would be a two... I'm genuinely surprised that Immortals Phoenix Rising was successful enough to warrant a sequel. Well, to be fair, Ubisoft has demonstrated in the past that they do not necessarily need something to be successful enough for them to give it a sequel right because well maybe that's unfair i was gonna i was gonna mention watchdogs and how that game was not very well received but it still got you know watchdogs 2 which was even less um oh yeah like what you know what i think watchdogs 2 was better critically received but it sold less and then it still got watchdogs 3 and with assassin's creed people often talk about how it really hit after assassin's creed 2 right um, so I think Ubisoft is down to give games like a second chance, and that's probably what they're doing there. Hmm. Um, let's see what they say about Beyond Good and Evil 2 here, because that game's been, uh, what do we call it, vaporware yes. for a while now. Uh, Beyond Good and Evil 2 seems like a game that will never release, and although the same has been said about Skull and Bones in the past, it's hard not to make a direct comparison. The title has suffered from many problems these past couple of years with some comments from developers to me in November 2021 suggesting that the game could be canned. Despite these comments, it appears Beyond Good and Evil 2 now lies in the Ubisoft category of, open quote, was spent too much time and can't give up now. Uh, I wouldn't expect to be hearing much about Beyond Good and Evil 2 for a while. Okay, so no new information there. So, yeah, I mean, go through this article. There's some new leaks there. There's some just old stuff. So, All right, cool. All right, so... With all that stuff out of the way, uh, Dan, it is time for me to give the show over to you. All right, let's uh, do our out this week segment where we go through new games coming out this week, updates, you know, good deals and stuff like that. We're going to start as typical with a free game in the Epic Game Store, which is until March 31st. Oh, no, we're pre-recording this early, so it actually hasn't switched yet. <laughs> uh, so I'm going to go straight to the games that are going to be available from March 31st until April 7th. And those games are City of Brass and Total War Warhammer. Uh, City of Brass description says, become a daring thief in City of Brass, a first person action adventure from senior Bioshock developers. Armed with a scimitar and a versatile whip, you lash and slash, bait and trap your way to the heart of an 
opulent Arabian Nights themed metropolis or face certain death as time runs out. Um, cool. These now, Tawar, uh, they look pretty high. Yeah, there's no video for that one, interestingly, on their page, on the, the Epic Game Store page. And then the critically acclaimed Total War Warhammer combines a turn-based campaign of epic empire building with colossal and explosive real-time battles set within the incredible world of a Warhammer fantasy battles. So you probably heard about this game before. This is a big strategy PC game um, and it's going to be available on the Epic Game Store. We can't tell you what the game for the next week will be, but we'll get back to that next week. Now, for the PlayStation Plus games of the month of April, which will be available starting on April 5th, uh, they are Hood, Outlaws and Legends on PS4 and PS5, SpongeBob SquarePants, Battle for Bikini Bottom, He Hydrated on PS4, and Slay the Spire on PS4. And I will say this, I think uh, that compared to the recent uh, PS Plus months, this is one of the best. I think because Slay the Spire is a dope roguelike card game that I've played before on mobile uh, and is available on all platforms, but it's really good and everybody should check out. Uh, Battle for Bikini Bottom is kind of like this weird cult classic PS2 game that the studio worked for before Heavy Iron Studios uh, developed. Uh, they did not develop the remaster, a different studio made the remaster, but you know, it's not a great game, but you know, it's a cool little you know, cult classic from that era of like PSU licensed games. And you might want to check it out in this remastered form. You know, what's kind of funny is like one of the, the IGN's video uh, had the thumbnail for like, here's the PS plus uh, games of the, of the April. And the thumbnail was Patrick. And I swear the screenshot looked like uh, Nickelodeon all-stars. Battle Royale. <laughs> I thought, oh my God, we're getting Nick all-stars as the PS plus game. And then I'm like, ah, which honestly, you already own anyway, so instead you got a game that you don't own. That is so that's true. Better. That is true. But yeah. I want to own it again on, on PlayStation because I bought <laughs> it on Switch. And uh, I don't know too much about this Hood game, but I remember seeing it in events and stuff, and it looked cool. Um, so let's see here. I don't want to read the description right now, especially because it's not very descriptive. It's but, online multiplayer, you know, so there's that. Yeah, if you know, you know. A PVE, um, I don't know. Oh yeah, I'm just skimming, but yeah. Now onto games with gold. Uh, for games with gold, we're getting another site available from April 1st to April 30th. Um, Hue on April 16th to May 15th. Outpost Kaloki X from April 1st to April 15th, and MX versus ATV Alive from April 16th to April 30th. Uh, I feel like another the only game I've ever heard of in this lineup was Hue because I think that might have been given away on on PS Plus before in the past. Yeah, me too. Um, I'm watching the video right now actually to see. Yeah, Hue looks kind of interesting. It's kind of like a like a black and white uh, 2D uh, side scroller, but where you know it involves like color mechanics where you're adding color to the world or something, and it's influencing. That game actually looks pretty fun actually. Now that I'm looking at it. Um, but I haven't heard of these other games. Another site looks like some kind of 3D adventure game. Um, yeah, it's it's a month. It's another Xbox, you know, Games of Gold month like many others. Holy shit. I'm looking at this gameplay. There is literally some mechanics that I've seen in Runbow. And I wonder if Hugh came out first and they're basically just using Runbow mechanics or Runbow rip from them. 
That's I don't know. Oh, you got. I don't know. I'm watching. The, I'm watching the video. I'm now interested in Hugh. Yeah. No. Me too. That actually looked pretty dope. Um. All right. So I got a few more things to mention here before we get into the new releases. Uh, the Elder Scrolls Four Oblivion Game of the Year Edition uh, is headlining the Prime Gaming lineup on the month of April. So if you have Amazon Prime, you can get that for free. Uh, Persona 5 is leaving the PS5 PlayStation Plus collection in May of this year. Those uh, so if you, so if you want to play Persona 5 and you have a PS5, you might want to do that next month. Um, there is a spring sale going on on the Epic Game Store right now. Some of the highlights include Deathloop, uh, which is 50% off. Red Dead Redemption 2 is also 50% off. And it's same for Cyberpunk, but you could have gotten that for cheaper before. So I'm not even going to mention that. Far Cry 6, 30 bucks, uh, pretty good. Uh, Cana Bridge of Spirits, 25 bucks, pretty good deal as well. Um, Horizon Zero Dawn Complete Edition, you can get for $25 there. So yeah, pretty good deals. Borderlands 3, Hades, Mafia Trilogy, Disco Elysium are some of the other highlights of games that are discounted on the Epic Game Store. <clears throat> Damn. Canada Bridge of Spirits for 26 bucks. Nice. Yes. I've been meaning to get that game, but I want to get it on the PS4. I think, you know, I got to watch out because I think there's some sales going on there too. I think that game is often on sale on the PS4 as well. Uh, a new season of Stranger Things will air in May, and Far Cry 6 wants to get you in the mood. An update that's available right now adds an entirely new mission strand to Ubisoft's open-world shooter, and it's free for anyone who owns the title. So if you own Far Cry 6, or you get it on the Epic Games Store right now because it's discounted, you're getting the Stranger Things new, uh, new mission for free. Uh, there's been some far more updates to the consoles over the last week. Uh, Nintendo Switch got an update, and you can now organize your games in folders, or rather, they call them groups. Louis, do you care about this? No, the folder system okay. is trash <laughs> in the in the implementation. Oh, that's too bad. Um, there's some other updates as well, like there's some updates to Bluetooth audio, so you can look into that if you're interested. I think this is just one of those features where it's like it's hard to be excited about it because it's just one of those things that should have been there from the beginning. Yeah, you know what I mean? <laughs> exactly. Um. There was also the PS5 new firmware update. It says here on this uh, Push Square article, it overhauls parties, lets you pin games, and much more. So not relevant for me because I don't have a PS5. But you know, Louis, <laughs> I'm sure you get that uh, eventually. I never use the pinning mecha- the pinning uh, features in any Xbox or PlayStation. So this is not gonna be something that I'll use. <laughs> I do actually use that on the Xbox quite a bit. I have my uh, my UI on the Xbox is like fully customized with you know all the folders and pins. Ain't nobody that got I time for that. <laughs> <laughs> um. And uh, finally here, uh, there's a new, uh, the new update for Returnal is out right now. It's the Ascension update that we covered on the State of Play a few weeks ago. Um, It includes, you know, some new trophies. It includes a co-op mode and some other things. There was like a survival mode or something. Uh, So if you're a Returnal fan, you might want to go look into that. Now, finally, we're actually going to go through the new releases here. Uh, Lego Star Wars The Skywalker Saga comes to PS5, Xbox Series, PS4, Xbox One, Switch, and PC on April 5th. All nine films, one new game. Play through all nine Star Wars Saga films in a brand new Lego video game unlike any other. Experience fun-filled adventures, whimsical humor, and the freedom to fully immerse yourself in the Lego Star Wars galaxy. Want to play as a Jedi, a Sith, Rebel, Bounty Hunter, or Droid? Lego Star Wars The Skywalker Saga features hundreds of playable characters from throughout the galaxy. Whether 
on land or in space. A variety of vehicles are yours to command. Jump to light speed in the Millennium Falcon, fly the T-47 airspeeder and battle TIE fighters and Resistance X-Wings. It's the ultimate LEGO Star Wars experience. I gotta say, I am genuinely surprised that they made this game because like, if I were like, like a, a greedy capitalist guy, I would just basically port like the Star Wars episodes one through six, you know, collection. Just mm -hmm. like HDFI it, plus every single, I believe every single Star Wars, like episode seven, eight, and nine had individual games, like so individual that's, Lego games. That's the thing though, Lewis, they already got money from all of those individual games right. and now they're going to get money from another game. <laughs> yeah. So basically it's my understanding is that they basically remade, remade it. Like instead of porting those things, they completely from the ground up made a brand new Lego game. And they just put all the nine yeah. films in the. I just think honestly, crazy. though, it comes across like this is like if you were to buy any Lego game ever, it comes across like this is the one to get. Yes. Like it seems like you know it's one of those things where sometimes these franchises get annualized and stuff, and they get kind of boring, right? Like people maybe are falling off because they they've played the same game a million times already. Um, and it comes across like this is not that. This yes. is like. You know, they took a break and they're coming back with something bigger and better. This game has been delayed many times, too. Uh, so, yeah, yes. I, I think this game actually seems pretty cool. Yeah, it just seems like there was a lazy way of making this game and they didn't do that. That's how it reads yes, to me. Definitely. Uh, now, our next big release here is MLB The Show 22 coming out on PS5, Xbox, PS4 and Switch. Also on April 5th, every pitch, every hit, every win. Make your mark and own the show. With the all-new MLB The Show, there are more ways than ever for gamers to play. Craft the perfect team, round up your friends to see who's champion at the couch or online, or spend an evening raking in homers as you progress your career to the big leagues in Road to the Show. Unleash your creativity with your created ball player and go for glory in the new and improved Diamond Dynasty. Play solo offline or online against others with your custom squad to test your skills and become king of the diamond. Try the new mini seasons mode where each season brings new challenges as you face off against new competition. Get the next generation MLB The Show experience when you play on PS5 consoles, including the return of stadium creator mode. Okay, that's... Uh, and we got... I just, it feels like that's, they're like, oh, we're bringing back a mode that we didn't, you know, whatever. You get no credit for that. <laughs> Chinatown Detective Agency is coming out on Xbox One, Switch, and PC on April 7th, and the following four games are also all coming out that day. Chrono Cross, the Radical Dreamers Edition, comes on PS4, Xbox One, Switch, and PC. Godfall Ultimate Edition comes out on PS5, Xbox Series, PS4, Xbox One, and PC. Sherlock Holmes, The Devil's Daughter comes out on Switch. Slipstream comes out on PS5, Xbox Series, PS4, Xbox One, and Switch. And finally, the House of the Dead remake comes out on the Switch on April 7th as well. The House of the Dead remake is a remade version of the game introduced in 1997 in arcade platform. A classic arcade rail shooter receives a whole new entourage and gameplay changes to suit modern gaming standards. Hordes of the undead monstrosities in a fast-paced rail shooter. True to the original gameplay, well-known arcade classic with modern graphics and controls. This description was not the best. And multiple also says endings. Multiple endings, which I missed. <laughs> uh, but, you know, I like the House of the Dead games. I mostly played House of the Dead 2 more so than I did House of the Dead 1. Uh, but I'm glad to see that that's coming out on the Switch. And I thought I heard somewhere that they were also doing a remake of House of the Dead 2. 
Uh, so maybe we can I expect honest, that. Honestly, did not even know House of the Dead remake was even a thing. Like this is the first time I'm even hearing about it. So that's interesting. I feel like it wasn't one of those like Nintendo Switch partner showcase things at some point that we didn't like really cover. That we, you know just became like a like a bullet footnote. point in the extra news yeah. or whatever. Yeah, footnote. Uh, but it was a thing. And I do have one final shout out here. So um, this is a game that I should have covered last week because it came out on March 29th, but I did not because I didn't see it anywhere. Patrick's Parabox. Uh, it's available on Steam. Um, it's developed by a developer named Patrick Trainer. It's a mind-bending recursive puzzle game about boxes within boxes within boxes within boxes. Learn to use infinity to your advantage as you explore a deep and elegant system. Uh, it is for sale. Uh, right now, you can get it for $17.99, uh, or you can get the bundle with the soundtrack for $25.18. So they're doing the thing where it releases on sale, right? So they're trying to push kind of that first week of uh, sales there. In this game, uh, in for the 2020 GDC that did not happen, I had acted as a uh, judge for the Indie Game Awards. And the way that it worked was that, you know, I applied to be a judge the year before, I got selected, and then I had access to a website where I was designated certain games to play. And I had to play them and kind of like evaluate them, decide whether I was going to nominate them for certain categories or not. Other people were doing the same, of course, and if enough judges had, you know, evaluated this game well and got nominated for certain categories, then they would get actually nominated for the IGF. Um, and one of the games that I played when I was doing that that really stuck with me and that I really loved was this game, Patrick's Parabox. This is a mind-blowing little puzzle game. It's one of those games that you're like, holy shit, how did I do that? How does this work? I can't even understand it. And I just definitely wanted to give it a shout out. Definitely want everybody to listen to this, to go and check out Patrick's Parabox on Steam if you can. Yeah, I'm watching the video of this uh, gameplay and my mind is melting watching this. <laughs> I'm like, holy shit. Damn. Yep. I did not it's know hard I to describe that. it, but it's it's cool. <laughs> yeah, I did not know I needed that in my life. But there you go. Uh, so yeah, um, as far as the uh, the House of the Dead, though, just wanted to say one last thing is I, I pulled the blurb from Nintendo's website and uh, the Nintendo's website has released TBA. Mm. So that one's a little interesting suspect. But that being said, I'm going to just go ahead and I, I'm Patrick's Parabox almost kind of want to I want to just give that one the, the pick of the week because I was originally going to say Lego <laughs> Star Wars. But fuck that. Patrick's Parabox is pick of the week at this point. Awesome. I appreciate that. Now, let's move on to our next segment, Lewis. All right. It is the Ready Press Play list of best games of all time. Uh, we had an unusual thing happen <laughs> last week when uh, I had Leah add a game to the list, and then she also took a lot of issue with our list and uh, wanted to move things around, so I allowed her to move one thing around, and therefore we now have The Last of Us, a number one, God of War 2018, and number two, it got pushed up. Zelda Ocarina of Time at number three, Street Fighter 2 at number four, Smash Brothers Ultimate at number five, Celeste at number six, Journey at number seven, Super Mario Galaxy at number eight, Fire Emblem Three Houses, New Edition at number nine, and Super Meat Boy at number 10. And Lewis, today is your turn to add to the list. You know, I didn't take complete umbrage with everything with her like reordering it and stuff like that. I actually kind of don't mind God of War being up there. Um, mm -hmm. I love the game. It's also a 10 out of 10, you know, that kind of stuff. Like... If I were to consider, like, the the top six are 10 out of 10s, for mm -hmm. sure, for sure. And um, 
so that being said, I actually am in this weird conundrum where I want to add a game to the list and I'd already made my decision. So we can't, we can't take it back. Right. Cause I already know what's coming. <laughs> however, <laughs> however, there is this unwritten rule. I don't know if it was ever explicitly said to us or we, we, we discussed it, but we have been picking games that are, that can still be played on some kind of modern hardware of some kind, whether it be the Nintendo switch, you know, that kind of stuff, like their ports, yeah. um, remasters, that kind of stuff. So every single game from this top ten has is a can be played on modern hardware. Hard, modern hardware. It's accessible. Yeah, uh, true. And I wanted to stick with that that theme. However, I genuinely want to add this game because it's one of the best games of all time, and it deserves to be on the list. However, it is not accessible in modern hardware. Okay, here's what I'm gonna say to that. I. I think we do have that unwritten rule, and I think the reason is because, you know, if, if uh, the way I see the list is that if you stumble upon it, I don't want it to be a situation where, you know, I want it to be a situation where you could sort of easily, yeah. theoretically play all these games, versus when you get to something like, you know, like Silent Hill 2 on the PS2, <laughs> like, you pretty much can't play that game right, right now, you know what I mean? Like, as far as I know, because, like, it, it costs, like, hundreds of dollars in the secondhand market and stuff, and it never got ported or remastered. However, I will say this. We can make a few exceptions. Right. Like, we, I think we, we, need, we can stick with the idea of doing that, but we can make a few exceptions for exceptional games, right? Yes. This one is one of them. Uh, All right. I'm going to add... <clears throat> The one of the, you know, we talk about Ocarina of Time as like one of those come to Jesus moments and stuff like that, where video games, you know, sort of hit their new stride. You know, The Last of Us mm -hmm. also did that as well. Like, this is the new breakthrough. Um, contemporary of Ocarina of Time is Hideo Kojima's, like, essentially his debut, but it's not, it's not true. But this is the where he became the rock star of things Metal Gear Solid 1 for the PlayStation 1. Or the PSX, as some people in Japan call it, but it's just it's just Metal Gear Solid, by the way. It's, there's no one in there. <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, but yes, the uh, the Metal Gear Solid is definitely one of those kind of games where it was the first time where I thought of video games as a movie. Like they had incredible voice acting. David Hayter killed the damn thing. Like it was awesome. There was even an IGN interview that during the summer of gaming in 2020 where David Hayter gave a quick interview about like what it was like to audition or whatever and to do the to do the game. And there's like there's a lot of fun like story behind the story where like there's like this opening credits because Kojima wanted it to be uh, to make it feel cinematic like a movie. So they have credits, but because the video game industry was so new at the time that they didn't even know if they were supposed to be unionized because if they're actors or whatever. So they all had fake names. They had like the pseudonyms for their for their hmm. uh, credits, except for David Hayter. Uh, so I think that uh, some of those little fun little tidbits is awesome. The game for me is one of those like, you know, one of those fun games that I have very fond memories of. I am not entirely sure if it holds up well in the current modern landscape, um, you know, tank controls and all that stuff. Um, so that being said, I am going to sort of give a little, like, just a little kind of like a, uh, like a asterisk there. Maybe let later Metal Gear Solid games like Metal Gear Solid 2 would have been a better pick. But for me, like, Metal Gear Solid 1 has the better villain cast than any other Metal Gear Solid that happened in the future. Like, Metal Gear Solid as a franchise, they've been known for, like, cool villain, villain lineups and stuff. You know, we got Psycho Mantis, Revolver Ocelot, and all that kind of stuff. You know, uh, Vulcan Raven. Uh, you know, the, the list goes on. Metal Gear Solid 1 is where it's at for me. 
Um, so yeah. You know what's kind of interesting? I've actually never played um, Metal Gear Solid. Uh, almost any. It, it's it's one of those franchises where I've played. I've only played the weird ones, I guess, because like I played Ground Zeroes. <laughs> I don't know if you remember that. Yeah. It was like a like a prologue to uh, to Metal Gear Solid. Yeah, that short ass game. Yeah, I remember that. Yeah, and then I I have which that's why I played it by the way because I was like oh you know like everybody loves the series I just want to get an idea of what it is and I can beat this in two hours, uh so that's why I played that one. So you didn't I thought it was fine. David Hater, damn. <laughs> yeah, like it was it was like all right, but it wasn't like that's why that's why I played that game because I wanted to see like is this gonna motivate me to want to play the rest of the series and it didn't. So, uh, but it is one of those things where I do feel like at some point I gotta play you know like that original game or maybe I gotta play mgs5 which you know a lot of people love especially because i ended up really liking death stranding and i know they're different games but that death stranding is the game is my reference of like knowing that i like kojima <laughs> you know like i like kojima because i like death stranding so i should probably try out um metal gear solid at some point it's just one of those big backlog things and it's interesting that you know last week we added fire emblem in here which is the first time that we're adding a game to the list that you have not played lewis i believe mm-hmm. uh and this is the first time that we're adding a game that i have not played <laughs> uh so nice. i think we're 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 mostly done with the big you know games that we both played and we're, we're, we might start hitting some more of that territory of things that are more my type of game or your type of game yeah um um, and it's very sad that this game is not accessible. I was actually looking into it, trying to figure it out. The way that this game is accessible right now, I believe it's for the me, PS3, right? Is I own the HD uh, Metal Gear collection on the PS3, correct? Uh, I believe that collection is also available on the Vita, uh, so you could go and buy that digitally or physically for those consoles. I believe. Yeah, but the Vita, uh, and then it's the Vita also, version also includes less games. Like it doesn't include the full full collection, so I don't know if it made the cut or not. Which I would yeah, imagine it did. That might be right. I would imagine it does. And, it probably does because it's a PS1 game. Right. Um, but it's also this game is also on the PS1 Classic. So if you bought the PS1 Classic, you should have access Holy to Holy shit, well. it is on the PS1 Classic. But that's terrible emulation, though. So fuck that. <laughs> um, so yeah, that's interesting. Um, yeah, so I, like I said, I I really do think that this was like one of those like next step leaps for like those one giant leaps for mankind kind of thing for video games. Um, so if you want to play it, um, I would say the it's kind of a bit of expensive, but the GameCube version is probably the definitive version of because it was a remaster or a remake. It was yeah, no, it was a remake. It was a remake mm-hmm. with uh, with better graphics and better, uh, more quote unquote modern like for that time, like more modern controllers controls scheme. So I would say that would probably be their your best bet. Um, and also not to mention GameCube graphics kind of they kind of are pretty dope. So. Um, it's not like polygonal graphics like the PS PS One or whatever. So, um, but yeah. Is the is the GameCube remake uh, Metal Gear Solid Twin Snakes? Yes, that's correct. So according to price charting, a complete copy of that is now one hundred and thirteen dollars. Holy shit! <laughs> <laughs> but that's fine though. I mean, like it, you know, there's ways, right? Like there's, you know, there's emulation out there. There's the GameCube version if you want to spend some more and find the disc and etc. Or you can get the PS3, which the PS3 one is a bit pricey as well, but not that pricey because I bought it like last year, I think. Um, so yeah, cool. Now, Louis, where where does this go on the list? Honestly, I have no idea. I've never played the game, so I'm kind of leave it up to you. I might push push back a little bit depending on what you want to do, but let's see. What what do you think? Right, straight to number one. I'm just kidding. <laughs> no, <laughs> hell no. Okay, first off, you know how like I said how like one through six are ten out of tens. I actually want maybe even extend it to like even to eight. I would say like even Mario Galaxy is like 
pinnacle game design, mm-hmm. right? I don't okay. think Metal Gear Solid is in that in that league. So okay. I want to put it at number nine, but even then, I feel like that is also over, giving a, like a slap in the face to Fire Emblem Three Houses too. So you know what I mean? <laughs> no, I, I, I will. Um, I'm gonna just give it points for for a better cultural impact. I was is how I would yes. give it. I, I will accept that. And you know, Fire Emblem is a is a modern recent game, and um, you know, like the, there's some uh, like. Re- I I think Leah even mentioned this on uh, last week. Uh, right, recency bias, right? Like there there could be some association there as well. But I I mean I I do love it. Um, I can't compare it to Metal Gear Solid. Um, because I've never played it. But I so I'll but I'll accept it. I'll accept it that way. Yeah. Um, and this is the first time where I'm not putting a game on the list like oh, like the the walled garden that is Lewis's picks. And stuff. <laughs> I actually am very humble, and I can just see like just looking at the list that I don't think that they're in that caliber. So, however, yeah. it is it is still an important game, by the way. That's just I don't want to undersell it either. So, yeah, yeah, for sure. So, our list right now is uh, number one, Last of Us. Number two, God of War. Number three, Ocarina of Time. Number four, Street Fighter Two. Number five, Smash Ultimate. Number six, Celeste. Number seven, Journey. Number eight, Mario Galaxy. Number nine, Metal Gear Solid. Number ten, Fire Emblem Three Houses. And number eleven, Super Meat Boy. Dope. Yes, and I'll give the show over to you to wrap it up, Lewis. All right, cool. All right, to end the show, we like to leave you guys with some recommendations for things to check out, whether it be gaming or non-gaming related, things to watch. My recommendation is uh, a show that I binge watched with my brother. Um, We watched this Korean uh, zombie apocalypse show called All of Us Are Dead, and they're basically trying to catch lightning in a bottle twice, and I think they fail, they almost kind of did, but it they wasn't to that same extent. But Netflix basically partnered with the production company in Korea to create Squid Games, and um, they did it again with another production company in Korea, and they made a show called All of Us Are Dead. Big budget, zombie apocalypse show set in a high school. And um, the show is, I believe, was it, I believe it was 12 or... I want to say 12 episodes long. Yeah, it's 12 episodes long and each episode is an hour. So I don't think it's that bingeable. I would say you might want to limit yourself to two episodes a sitting, you know, a day or whatever. Uh, but either way, I had a good time with it. I think it was a very well written, very well scripted, like very well acted and mm-hmm. everything. Just a good show all around. And uh, I can't, I don't want to give away any spoilers, but, you know, shit gets real. And uh it was very emotional, very good, and I think they stuck the landing, and I feel like they set themselves up for a perfect season two. So um, check out all of us. All of us are dead. It's on Netflix, and the show was successful. It just wasn't that runaway success and that everyone was talking about, like uh, like Squid Games. So you can't. I think anything compared to Squid Games is not gonna is not a fair comparison. But it was a yeah, successful for sure. show in its own right. Yeah, that Squid Game was like a juggernaut. You know, what what? what Elden Ring is for games this year. <laughs> you know, like the thing everybody's talking about. Which I, uh, you know, I didn't even, we didn't even talk about uh, the fact that I went to GDC last week, Lewis, and that, you know, that's why we had to change our recording schedule. <laughs> uh, but it was kind of interesting, like, ev- ev- almost everybody that I talked to, G- at GDC you do a lot of like networking, like they, they have these parties, like the kind of the after hours of GDC are like the best part of GDC where you go to these parties and it's just like everybody there is just developers that are attending the conference and just you just kind of grab a drink and walk up to people, you know, try to start a conversation, just kind of get to know people and stuff. And a lot of times, because everybody there works in games, most of them probably play games and stuff, then, you know, you start with, you know, what are you playing? 
uh, recently. And almost everybody was like Elden Ring, Elden Ring, Elden Ring. <laughs> it really is a, a sensation. So I really, I feel like I need to play that game just to be aware. Like, I'm not as big on the whole, like, you know, be part of the conversation or oh, whatever. Yeah, but I feel yeah. like when, occasionally, you know, when there's a game of that, that size, like when it's like Pokemon Go, you know, or um, like animal crossing or whatever like something that becomes like that big of a sensation i i i have to at least check it out um but um another thing that happened at gdc is that they did have like the award show that they do and they do the indie awards and then the main awards and this game called inscription which i've talked about on the podcast before uh pretty much sweeped at the gdc award especially the indie like it won like half of the indie awards and then it we got to like the main awards and then it did not win any of the specific categories but it then was awarded game of the year like full game of the year at the gdc awards um and that's because it's an exceptional indie game it is a it is a card like at first glance it's like a card uh deck building you know roguelike type of game sort of like slay the spire uh which is now available on playstation plus but there's a lot more under the surface. The idea is that you are actually a character in this game who is sitting down at a table playing this card game and you can get up from your table and like move around the room and do shit, interact with your environment. And that's where a lot of the cool shit of the game happens. I have not finished it yet, but I feel like seeing it sweep the awards at the GDC awards really made me realize that I really got to go and finish this game because apparently it just gets better and better the further uh, you get into it. And therefore, I just want to leave this out there. You know, if you want to play a game on your PC right now, uh, Inscription is the game to play. Damn. Yeah. Okay. All right. It's time to end. Thank you so much for joining us for another episode of Ready, Press, Play. Don't forget to subscribe. Give us a nice review. Tell your friends about the show and all that good stuff. You can find the podcast at Ready, Press, Play on Twitter. And I'm on Twitter at Chocolaka88. Dan. At PowerUpDan. All right. Peace out, guys. See you next time. Bye-bye. Thank you.